Welcome to Science Talk, the weekly podcast of Scientific American, posted on January 31st, 2010. I'm Steve Mursky. This week on the podcast... What we are doing is not underwater archaeology, it's land archaeology underwater. That's renowned archaeologist Frank Godio, who visited Scientific American last week. He spent almost two decades working in Egypt in the Bay of Alexandria, attempting to map the Portus Magnus, the great port of Alexandria, one of the most important cities of the ancient world. And in nearby Abukir Bay, he searched for two cities that he believed were submerged there, Heraklion and Canopus. As you'll hear, he was convinced those cities should be there, based on the publications of some authoritative writers, including Herodotus, Strabo, and Julius Caesar. Much of what Gadio has found is related to Cleopatra and will be on display starting in June at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. The exhibit is called Cleopatra, the Search for the Last Queen of Egypt, which will then travel around the U.S. We'll have more info on that as June approaches. Right now, let's listen as Frank Gadio describes his work. You'll also hear me, Scientific American's Kate Wong, and Mark Lack with Arts and Exhibitions International, which is putting together the Cleopatra exhibition. Well, I, I have always been fascinated by uh, archaeology history since I was a kid. As, uh, I had always in mind that one day I would do archaeology. <laughs> but I didn't start like this. Uh, I studied maths and statistics and uh, uh, was an advisor to foreign governments and uh, for a few years and for an inter- international institution like the UN. And then uh, finally, one day, I decided to take a sabbatic year and to go serious and to be serious. And I started archaeology. <laughs> and uh, we started the project in 92 in Egypt uh, by a geophysics survey which lasted six years in the Bay of Alexandria and also in the Bay of Abukir. Uh, the purpose in Alexandria was to try to map what has, uh, had been the Portus Magnus, the great port of Alexandria in the antiquity, which was the biggest port of uh, its time. And in Nabukir Bay, I was convinced that were located two cities which had never been discovered on land, and uh, I was absolutely... Uh, Convinced that they were, there has been submerged under the sea. I took the decision to try to locate them, map them, and try to identify them. In, what, yeah. what were your readings that made you believe that those cities were there? We are very, very fortunate because for Alexandria, the city of Canopus and the city of Heraklion and the city of Tonis, we had the best resource. Herodotus, Strabon, Julius Caesar, Flavius Joseph, you know, not the small one. <laughs> That's, and they are speaking about and writing about cities, the Portus Magnus, or the city of Heraklion, which, uh, for example, Herodotus visited in 450 BC. He went there, he entered a big temple, um, and he described it as a temple to Heracles, and gave a lot of uh, information about that site. Then, a lot of fossils uh, were speaking about, uh, writing about uh, Canopus, the famous city of Canopus, the big temple of Serapis in Canopus, which was one of the most important temples that, to that god with uh, one of Alexandria. And, uh, of course, Alexandria, we have 
big amounts of description by Strabo, by others, by Julius Caesar, uh, about the royal quarters, about uh, the temples, the palaces, and etc. Thus, for Alexandria, it was easy, you know. There were, there were archaeological sites on land, which has been uh, identified, and it was obvious that part of the city was missing, and that part had to be underwater. Thus, there it was clear. There was a Bay of, uh, of Alexandria. You had to perform electronic survey, geophysics survey, with uh, nuclear resonance magnetometer, multi-beams, uh, echo sounder, and uh, sub-bottom profile, etc., in order to try to identify electronic signals, and then perform archaeological excavation in order to characterize those signals. And uh, after a few years of work in the Bay of Alexandria, we had electronic maps, and we started to perform the sounding, uh, archaeological sounding, and we started, it went very, very fast. Once we had the electronic map, we characterized uh, all the uh, submerged land or submerged port infrastructure very easily in two years. And we performed the map of the Portus Magnus, the great port of Alexandria, in two years, after the survey. Means seven to eight years. <laughs> we came up with the first um, comprehensive map in 2000, and uh, and we are adding more detail to it, of course, every year. For Abukir Bay, it was another challenge because the city there was there were three cities mentioned in the text: Erakayon, Canopus, and Tonis. In the 19th century, they name ruins found on the coast by the name of those cities, but archaeological excavation performed on those sites never brought a single clue that they were correctly identified. Uh, we performed with my team that survey in Abukir Bay. Uh, we got electronic signals, but I was very concerned because those electronic signals were very far from the present coast of Egypt, seven kilometers away. So seven kilometers, to find a city seven kilometers away from the present coast seems a little bit kind of a dream. <laughs> but we started to excavate in 2000 and we came across very fast a very big structure, a monument, which was a temple. We started excavation. We found intact steel with hieroglyphic inscription telling us you are in the city of Herakion, and we found the deposit, uh, foundation deposit. We were in the temple of Amon, uh, and his son Honsu, which were known to be the temple of Herakion from a steel found in the 19th century, saying that the city of Herakion was the city who possessed the temple to Amon of the Grave. And we found the steel saying, you are in the temple of Amon of the Grave. <laughs> it was a kind of uh, unbelievable. Then we went on excavating, excavating. We found another sanctuary. We found the living quarter, the port, you know. And we have not yet completed the map of Herakion, which was the biggest port of Egypt before the foundation of Alexandria. And according to the text, and this is confirmed by what we found in situ and written on steel, on black granite, it was the city where all boats entering Egypt 
should stop, pay custom duty, and then they could enter to the Nile and go to Upper Egypt. Thus it was a very big city with a temple to Amon, which has a, a peculiarity. Uh, it was a temple where all new pharaohs had to come in order to receive the title of their power from the supreme god Amon. Thus, it was a very important city. It's only when Alexander the Great came to Egypt that he decided to found uh, a new city, Alexandria, and he ordered, we have the text of that, that all the trade from Heraklion should be transferred to the new city, Alexandria. Thus, Heraklion uh, is a pharaonic city, but very important during the Ptolemaic time and during the time of Cleopatra, because she had to go to that temple to be pharaoh. Uh, when a pharaoh was going, uh, the new pharaoh, after the death of the old pharaoh, was coming to that temple, he received, quote, from uh, the priest of Amon, a kind of cylinder. And in that cylinder, there was the inventory of everything existing on land and in the sky. And by taking this cylinder, called the Mekes, the, this man or this woman, became the universal sovereign, the pharaoh. And then she or he was going out of the temple in a big ceremony and were going back to Alexandria. It's very helpful when they actually label the artifacts. <laughs> I, I would have, I would have said this, everybody would have said, okay, the guy is totally nuts, he is dreaming, he said, ah, but now, I have the gold plate, I have the big stella intact, the best of it. Huh? You could have said, Frank, uh, you found it. And the rest was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it Congratulations. But I've not done this. Yeah. So how do you account for the, was it seven kilometers? This, uh, we have done a geological survey also with the Simpsonian Institution of Washington in order to assess why all those land disappear under the sea and under the sediment. Because uh, if you die, you see nothing but sediment. You have one to six meters of sediment above all the remains today. Uh, it's a conjunction of phenomena. Uh, the main phenomenon is called the liquefaction of land. The, the data is made of clay. The clay has in its structure water trapped into crystals. Uh, if you exercise a pressure above the critical pressure to that clay, the crystal will go parallel to each other and the water will be expelled. And as the clay had 50 to 60% of water in its structure, the clay will lose, the ground will lose 50% of its volume. That means a big temple built on clay is exercising a big pressure by its weight. An additional weight coming from a tsunami or a catastrophic flood of the Nile, but most probably a tsunami, will trigger that phenomenon. And the temple and all other construction around will uh, sink few meters in a fraction of a second. And this we were able to show by uh, the drilling that we have done that this has happened several times during the history. One time just after the visit of Herodotus to that city, and before the coming of Alexander the Great to Egypt, and another time in the second century BC, and a third time, the most 
devastating one on the 8th century AD, second half of the 8th century. And that last, I think, most probably seismic event which trigger uh, that uh, land liquefaction destroyed Heracleion, Canopus, and the Portus Magnus of Alexandria at the same time. And, uh, and by the way, the sea, I forgot that the city of Tonis, which was mentioned by Strabon, Strabon made a visit, paid a visit to Heracleion, went there and said, oh, the inhabitants are telling me that once upon a time, we are 29 missing, <laughs> he said, once upon a time, there was a city around called Tonis. And all the historians were saying, oh, okay, you say nonsense. But I was convinced he was not saying nonsense. And on the stella, well written, it's written, Heracleion is Tonis. Thus we know now, we know now, something that Strabon, having traveled to that place at, uh, 2,000 years ago, didn't know. And how, when you're, when you're excavating underwater, I mean, I've, you know, been to um, terrestrial archaeological excavations and every, every shard of pottery, every piece of bone, the, the location of it is recorded in three dimensions. Yeah. Are you doing the same thing? Every Absolutely. Every that you find? Yes, every, no, no. Uh, are, what we are doing is not underwater archaeology, it's land archaeology underwater. It's exactly the same techniques. It needs more logistics. But we, and there is the, dif- the main difference is that on land, you have the grid, you start an excavation, and you can go to, uh, from one square to another one and to another one and let those square, I've uh, finished to see what will appear in the, uh, in the square uh, close by. You cannot do this underwater. You have to do much more so work because in one day the sediment will cover back the excavation you have done. Thus, and sometimes the visibility is so poor, 10 to 15 centimeters, you are working like that, that you have to register everything that you are seeing. Thus, you have to photograph, uh, position clearly, uh, draw, uh, and then go to another square. You know that when you will come the day after, it will be covered by the sediment. Thus, it's a kind of, it's a different type of, uh, but the techniques are more or less the same. Oh. Right. Is the focus now mostly on you know, reconstructing the life and times of Cleopatra specifically, or you know, where where are things right now? We are doing uh, one mission a year, sometimes two missions a year. And up to now, uh, the main purpose was mapping, mapping, and mapping, to have a clear idea of the topography of the Portus Magnus of Alexandria, Canopus, and Heracleontonis. Uh, then after we enter more, you, it's like we focus, you know, we are, you have the map, thus you know that there is a submerged island, uh, this submerged island you refer to Strabon, it's named Antirodos, okay, you, you are in Antirodos, Strabon says, oh, on Antirodos you have a palace, and he's talking three years after the death of Cleopatra, thus, ah, thus, Antirodos, it's a very small island, 300 meters, 50 meters wide. So you cannot miss much of it. Just going in the middle where you have an electronic signal, we found the foundation of a very big palace. It, and we knew there was a palace there, uh, three years after the death of Cleopatra. What we didn't know, for example, is that on the secondary branch, 
there was another building which was a temple to Isis, which fit perfectly. So uh, this year we will focus on in Alexandria in walking to that place, the palace of Cleopatra, mainly there. And, but we are working also on other places in Alexandria in order to, in some place to identify the structure, in other place where it has been identified to characterize more precisely uh, what type of a temple, what type, is it a living quarter, is it a shipyard, etc. Et in Erakeion, Tunis, who are much less advanced than in Alexandria, because first the city is huge. <laughs> Two square kilometer, a city. The, the harbor, uh, covered two kilometer by 1.5 kilometer. And in the harbor, up to now, we have uh, identified 63 ancient shipwrecks from the 13th century, uh, 12th, no, 13th century BC to the second century BC. We haven't started even one, you know. That's, it's a huge, huge work. It's a huge work. Uh, to give you an idea, uh, Pompeii has been discovered in the 18th century. They are still doing the excavation. Huh? And it's on land. It's easy. And it's a small city. Here you are in the port of entry to Egypt with one of the most important temples, which are uh, 150 meters long by 80 meters wide. You know, uh, One of the biggest temples in Egypt. And we need few centuries to excavate that. You know, thus, we still have time ahead of us. <laughs> thus, this year, we will focus in Alexandria, in uh, Cleopatra Palaces, on Antirodos Island. And in Heraclion, Tunis, we started the excavation of one shipwreck with one team. And we uh, characterize also part of this temple, which is very intriguing, of the great temple to, uh, to Heracles uh, or this. Without knowing anything really about how you do this work, I would guess that the technology that you employ today is far different from what you were using even 10 years ago at the beginning of the project. Is that is The technology... Well, a piece of technology has, has improved a lot. The basic technology which allowed us to discover those sites are a nuclear resonance magnetometer that we have developed in the 90s for that purpose before starting this project by the Commissary of uh, Atomic Energy of France. Uh, they, 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 it's just a device to measure. Huh? They don't give any signal. Huh? They just measure the magnetic field, you know, in one spot. And this enables us to uh, draw an ma electronic map, which, for example, can detect stone inside of clay, or clay inside of sand. This is how we were able to pinpoint a long 3.5 kilometer signal between the city of Herakeion and the city of Canopus. And when we started excavation, we characterize it as a channel, which is the fan famous canopic channel, which was used by all the pharaohs, and uh, we have a description of Cleopatra making this type of channel. Thus, that piece is exactly the same. What has improved a lot is the um, uh, computer producing the map, 
you know. Fifteen years ago, it was on paper, <laughs> you know. Then after, we have a paper map, and now we have a with Surfer program, for example, and GPS also, the centimetric GPS in one centimeter, you know, uh, in 3D, as, uh, is helping us a lot. Even underwater, now we are, we, we are able to use that. Uh, what has, thus, I would say, the basic instrument, nuclear resonance magnetometer, are the same, the, the sensor are the same, the uh, computer, process. the process, you know, the soft, it's so, so powerful. With uh, layers and on the map, on the electronic uh, electronic signal, you can put the bathymetry uh, from the echo sounder or from the multi-beam, and you can position the artifact with, uh, the, and you have the layers like that. It's, uh, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. Uh, what has been developed uh, tremendously as a device, uh, it's a multi-beam, which it's an echo sounder, but a kind of a 3D echo sounder with a centimetric positioning, you know, uh, thanks to the centimetric DGPS. And this gives you electronic image of the button to a precision of 2 to 3 centimeters. But something has to protrude from the bottom, otherwise you see only sand. <laughs> but... Sometimes it's the case, and it's a big ape, especially in Ayrton. How far underwater are these sites? No, no, uh, this site? Yeah. Uh, they are not uh, in Alexandria, between 2 meters and 15 meters, oh. plus 3 to 5 meters of sediment. That means uh, 5 meters and 18 meters, when we take out the sediment. In Erakeion, uh, 12 to 10, uh, 10 to 12 meters. In Canopus, 8 to 6 meters. Do you blow the sediment away? No, we don't blow. Uh, when you do an excavation, because if you blow, you... <laughs> oh, of course, the small pieces. You, you erase everything. Yeah. Just, uh, you have a kind of uh, um, suction, Act. water suction. And you have uh, the nose of the, and you do that like that, and uh, ha, a shard appear, okay, stop, you up, yeah, and we have, you put a, a tag on it, uh, and if you cannot put a tag on it, you have a net with a tag on the net, and you put the shard on the net, etc. How many divers might be working on the site? We are all, the team is 55 in um, uh, Alexandria and Abukir. Uh, we have uh, 12 uh, divers, archaeologists, uh, diving, 2.5 hour, uh, two and a half hour uh, in the morning, two and a half hour in the afternoon. Personally, I dive much less, uh, though everybody would like me to dive much more, because like this, I don't take the report of the diver coming in. <laughs> because when a diver comes at the surface, okay, the report, yes. <laughs> They would love me to die. The boss is watching. <laughs> yeah. so how often do you actually go in? Once a day, after everybody has a dive, in order to see the site and assess sometimes twice a day uh, if it is important, but not two hours. I go, see the site, I, I see if we have to go in on this track or change. And uh, Sounds like a lot more fun than being cooped up in a laboratory. Well, I don't know. Sometimes the water is very cold and sometimes the visibility is very poor. <laughs> so maybe you could tell us uh, what's, what's in this exhibit. Yes, yes. This, this exhibit, we focus about everything which is related 
to uh, the world of Cleopatra. That means uh, uh, end of the Ptolemaic uh, dynasty, 330 BC and 30 BC. And we are there in the last century, more or less, huh, because she died in 30 BC. And we have, of course, a lot of artifacts coming from Alexandria. She was living there. Uh, what is strange with Cleopatra, and this is known by historians since a long time for political reason, after her death, her images were erased. And her, her cartouche name, the hieroglyph name, was erased. In Danasio Memoriae, that means to, to, to erase her from the memory. From the memory. Thus, you cannot expect to find a nice statue of Cleopatra like that. This, forget about that. Maybe there is not. Maybe there is somewhere. <laughs> we do find um, coins with her profile, you know, interesting, because people can destroy statue, but they will never dare to destroy a coin <laughs> because it can be used, you know, which is good. Uh, we, but we have a lot of things related, closely related to her. For example, in the exhibit, you will see a sphinx, which has been found in the temple of Isis, close to her palace on Antirodos. And this sphinx is a likeness of her father. We have coins of, and also statue of her father, and you see the sphinx with the, the likeness of her father. Which is strange, you know, the, her father was protecting Isis, and she was Isis. She considered as, herself as Isis. We have also a very moving piece, which is a head of her son, Caesarion, she had with Julius Caesar. And it's a colossus head of black granite. And we found that head just in front of her palace, but on the antique coast, in a place where we, we dig also this year, which we have not 100% proof, like in Tunis, etc., because we have not written element, but we have a kind of uh, fresco, I don't know, the, of proof, showing us that it, uh, we are excavating the temple of the Caesars. Temple that uh, Cleopatra ordered to be built in honor of Julius Caesar. And when he died, this temple was transformed to, to the Caesars. <laughs> and uh, Ptolemy 15, her son, which Julius Caesar, was the last of the Caesar uh, in Egypt and the last of the pharaoh. And we have this beautiful head, which will be in the exhibit there. We have coins with her face, but we have also uh, daily life objects, you know, of Alexandria. And we have also uh, everything from Canopus and Heraclion, which concerns the devotion she had to the gods. And we know from text that she was participating to pilgrimage and procession in Canopus and Heraclion. And we did found uh, all the instrument of that cult and the donation and etc. That's it. You have the daily life, you have the riches of Alexandria, you have the religious life of that time. The Cleopatra exhibit opens at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia on June 5th. As that date approaches, we'll have more from the hour-long interview with Frank Godio and Mark Lack. We'll roll out the news quiz totally bogus in a separate standalone episode coming soon. Till then, check out Larry Greenmeyer's coverage of the next big thing, Apple's iPad, 
It's like the large print edition of the iPhone. That's at www.scientificamerican.com. You can follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet every time a new article hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam, S-C-I-A-M. For Science Talk, the podcast of Scientific American, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.